Here's a question for you. How resilient are you? Now I'm asking because I think we all figured out that life doesn't really get easier, but we get stronger and more resilient. Let's have ourselves a pocket-sized pep talk because you're about to hear from one of the most positive and resilient people on this planet. And buckle up, because here comes a bundle of energy. A pocket-sized pep talk, the podcast that can help energize your business and your life with a quick, inspiring message. Now, here's your host, Rob Jealous. Today's guest, Eileen McDar, has been called a hope merchant, provocative presenter, by the way, Speaker Hall of Fame provocative presenter, and insists she's on this earth for comic relief. I've witnessed that firsthand. All three ingredients are essential for cultivating the skills of resilience. She's the author of seven books, including her newest book, Burnout to Breakthrough, Building Resilience to Refuel, Recharge, and Reclaim What Matters. Glad to have you with us and welcome to the show, my friend Eileen. Yahoo! And it's great to be here with you, Robert. Yes, it is. Robert, well, we're going to be formal. Eileen and I have known each other for about a decade now, uh, but we're going to pretend like we're just now. We we know each other. We've had some good times with each other. And I have to tell you, I have been, I've been looking forward to this podcast for a couple of months now as we finally got our calendars together and got this going. So I want to go and dive right into that book of yours. And it's clear okay. that resiliency has never been more essential than now, but you got a head start. You've been tracking this for decades you got the, and then comes a pandemic. What started you on this path? Yeah, that's a really interesting question because my field is in the field of communication. What is communication, good communication, but the exchange of energy between two people, between an organization, its customers, its clients. And when we hit 9-11 for the United States, I all of a sudden watched us go, oh, crap. What's going to happen? And I began to say, how does resilience and communication come together? What is it that allowed us, at least at that point in time, as a nation to move forward? So that 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 began my study of resilience. And what I discovered, the more I looked at it, was that resilience really is an energy exchange. Yeah. That's what it is. And what is energy but the capacity to do work? And so in order to be resilient, how is it? What is it that gives me energy? What depletes my energy? How do I renew that resource? Um, so really, that's where I started looking at it seriously and seeing what the connections were. Well, you know, it, already, already I'm fascinated because you just hit on something that I've actually never spoken about. Um, we know each other. We're pretty positive people. I remember 9-11, as we all do. And I remember struggling with it because I'm a very hopeful, half full person, and there was nothing to be half full about. And all of a sudden I went, oh, my. So this is what it feels like to be to to lose a bit of hope. It challenged. So when when those of us that are card carrying half full people are losing that energy, you know that something's up. But I remember that day because it was the first day where I couldn't find the other side. Yeah. Yeah. And I would agree with you. So hope is not this, oh, Pollyanna, oh, everything's going to be fine and nice and neat. I think real hope is grounded in what I think of as intelligent optimism. And what intelligent optimism says out of all of this horribleness, where is my point of control? 
So I had absolutely no control over all the stuff that happened at 9-11. I had clients who canceled because they didn't want me on a plane. And I'm saying, but you need me more than ever. I don't care. I'll walk to you if I have to. Their attorney said, no, you have to stay home. So where was my point of control? This is going to sound weird, Rob, but I looked around and said, okay, what can I do? Number one, I'm going to get my body in shape. I hired a trainer. I started exercising. I looked around this office here and I said, okay, how can I get this in control? I began to reorganize my office. Anything that gave me a sense of forward momentum. So in this case, it was physical. It was also intellectual. Um, as I waited to see where is it that I could be of assistance. So hope is not this, this blind Pollyanna thing at all. Um, it really is saying, where is my point of control? And what is it that I, I lead? What is it that you, Rob, have control over right now? Yeah. And, you know, Eileen, I was kind of hope, I was kind of hoping that you connect resiliency and hope. And, and I, I, cause, cause I deal with people that when people in career transition, and that's one of my um, passions to help people who are struggling, uh, they frequently lose hope. And I have certain things I try, but I, I'd love to hear from you on this. What do you tell somebody who's lost hope? Because that's a, that's a, that's a very serious issue. You know, it, it is. And with everything that's going on right now, I mean, you started talking about how the pandemic and we thought it would be short lived and it's going on and on. And now we're seeing the respiratory side of that, of a virus. Um, I think it's it is to ask the person, think back to a time in your life in which you thought you could not get through this. And you did. You know, what's interesting, Rob. Everyone can go back and find one place. For me, it would be going through a divorce. Um, it would be trying to move, which I had no job. I didn't have a place to go. And I got through it. And you begin then to say, what is it that allowed you to go through that? Because that strength is still there. So we begin to call upon that strength. The other thing I think when you say, particularly in career transition, uh, which is a, also a passion of mine. The older I get, the more I know it's behind, more behind me than in front of me. So where is it that I want my contribution? So I'm in the place of exploration, uh, just like the people in career transition, is to begin to say, what is it that feeds my heart and my soul? Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's very interesting. You know, when, when I'm dealing with people, and we, we're both speakers, so we we know that, a lot of times people will say, boy, I'd love to do what you do, but you know, I get, what, how do you deal with when you're anxious? And I actually, I say two words, track record, which is sort of what you're describing right now. What usually happens? Can you take your back, take yourself back to a time where you were on, where you, where you were just killing it, where it was easy. Uh, so between that track record of what usually happens in these situations, oh yeah, the, the, the room doesn't cave in on me. And, um, you know, just kind of staying on that path, it really helps people. And getting into that character, it's, you know, Eileen and I share something else. We both dabbled in, in acting, and um, you certainly know what method acting is. Uh, people don't cry on stage because they're poking themselves in the eye. The good actors are <laughs> taking themselves someplace, right? Right? Yeah. So, in a sense, I, I if I've got you right, it's kind of what you're doing here. You're having them 
as a method actor almost take themselves someplace. Do I have that right? You know, I, I love it that you use the word acting because what that also brings up to me, it's another skill set, is the skill of improvisation. And in the rules of improvisation, the first the first rule is the answer to what's going on is yes. You accept what is given. You won't say, no, 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 that didn't happen. No, 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 no. You say, yes, you accept what is given. And then with what is real, then you say, okay, how do I choose to respond to this? And what's interesting is sometimes one of the best ways to respond is to find, this is going to sound weird, but to find the funny in it. What makes you laugh? Right. When I was caring for my mom in the last six years of her life, and she had all kinds of physical ailments, plus uh, uh, dementia, um, I would go in and one day she's dying, next day she's not. One day she's dying. So I called her Yo-Yo Ma. Hi, Yo-Yo Ma, up, down, up, down, up, down. It made me laugh. And she knew something was funny about that. Um she she would make there were things that she would say that you just had to laugh you couldn't take it seriously you just had to laugh and so I think sometimes finding the bit of humor because what is humor but perspective yeah yeah that's that's great uh particularly in the example you use there you know staying on this and, st and staying on hope for just a second longer and I'll, I, I promise I'll, I'll, we'll move but, I, but I'm fascinated with that topic because really, I, I can't think of anything worse than to lose hope. And so, you know, one of the things that I've told some of the people that I work with, because you'll hear them say, I don't want to get my hopes up. I don't want, I don't want to hope too hard. It's, and it breaks my heart. And um, I, I, a phrase that I use is I tell them, you know, there is a penalty for hope. You know, if you're going to, if you're going to work with somebody, you, 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 you can't make up stories. You have to look them in the eye and go, yeah, there's a penalty for hope. It's called disappointment, a uh, but. So you may be wanting that job and you get your hopes up and you don't get the job. Was it wrong to have had your hopes up? Well, of course not. The, the penalty is disappointment, but look at the alternative, mm -hmm. right? The alternative is to go through life or through challenges without hope. Let's, you know, last on the, on the job transition, but imagine going into an interview without hope. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we know for a fact that's going to carry over in that energy you bring in and the sound that you're making in the gestures you're you're showing so um i just think it's huge and i love that you've got a book that's tying into hope well it's it's important and um there's a wonderful saying hope is not certainty it's possibility there you go and also if i go into an interview with all of this hope you can become too hungry, mm -hmm. too needy, right? And that's going to push people away too. Yeah. So yeah. you have to say there's there's something here. And by the way, if one door closes, another door opens. And that is that seems like a stupid thing to say, but go back and look in your life when something happened that you thought, oh, I it it didn't work. Oh my gosh, it took me to a different place where I would never have gone before. Yeah. Oh, you're right. Uh, you know, every entrepreneur I've met, every person who actually transitions, I, I tell them, um, listen, when you buy me that cup of coffee and we sit down and we celebrate where you're going, uh, just remember that like a mantra, one of the first things you're going to say once you land is, boy, 
I wish I'd done this a little earlier. <laughs> so, um, but, but, you know, while we're in the throes of it, it can be challenging, but I want to talk if I could, I want to talk about you for a second, because, um, you know, it's interesting. Sometimes I look at authors and I go, well, why do they write that book or what makes them qualified to write that book? But for people who don't know you, trust me, folks, when Eileen walks into a room and she's a giant at about, what are you, five feet if on standing up nice and straight? <laughs> uh, but that room begins to circle around you. There is an energy you put out there that's that I, you know, we, we don't get that out of a book. So I, I'm just curious in terms of your 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 half fullness. Is that a learned behavior? Were you born that way or is a little bit each? That's an interesting question. When I go back and look at the photos of my brother and sister and me as kids, my brother, who is a twin, he has a PhD in religion and psychology. My baby sister is um, the chair of the board of United World College and very focused. And so when I look at us as kids, John is very serious. Susan is. And I'm sitting there with this goofy expression on my face, petting the dog. And I think... I think that my inclination, my desire is, and I remember this in high school, I don't know that I can make people wiser, but can I make them happier? And I, that is, is just been, I, I don't, don't ask me why. Yesterday I was in Costco and they screwed up on the, when they're bringing the stuff through. And so I had to go over to some guy who was a manager who's going to fix something on my credit card. And he had on a uh, windbreaker. And I could see where it was closed. There was the first part of his name. It was J.E. And I looked at him and I don't know where this came from, but I said, well, your name is either Jeff or Jesus. <laughs> he cracked up. He said, you know, now, because we're doing this during the holiday season, he said, people are so serious and intent. And he just laughed and laughed. I have no idea where that came from. Right. Um, which is why I said sometimes on, I'm on the earth for comic relief, because when we can begin to laugh at ourselves, then we begin to say, so what really matters? Yeah. 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 Uh, and, and it, you know, it, my, my wife sort of watches me and I, I actually don't do it intentionally. I'm not trying to manipulate people, but I have an instinct when I meet somebody, a, a waiter, a, 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 an Uber driver, somebody that we're going to have this moment together and it's not going to be terribly long. I have this instinct to want to make them laugh, to want to warm them up. By the way, the reason why I said it's not, not trying to be manipulative, funny thing when you do that, you're actually making things a lot nicer for yourself uh, when you do it. Absolutely. You know, let me say another thing, that, and I think yeah. it is about giving yourself energy, yeah. about resilience, is when you get out of yourself and you care about the other person. Watch what happens if you're standing in line at a supermarket and here's the clerk and she has on the name badge and it says, Sherry, you say, hey, Sherry, by the way, that's a great pair of earrings you have on. Just want to let you know. Nobody ever noticed that. When I go running in the morning and I see people with their dogs, I know the names of dogs now. I say, well, how are you? By the way, how are you up there? But I really like your dog. Um, it's interesting just even acknowledging that people exist right now. I think one of the greatest pandemics is loneliness. Wow. Where people don't realize that they're really cut off and they feel alone. And anything that I can do to say, I see you, 
I mean, there was a garbage man the other day and I stopped him and I said, thank you for your service. It was like, it's my job that <laughs> nobody ever thanks me. So it's it's just really interesting. And I feel better. I'm selfish for it because it really, it just that little bit fuels me up to say, I'm not alone either. Yeah, that's great. That's really great. That's very interesting. Uh, I, I, you know, I do it naturally and, um, and I'm always reminding like my wife or my friends, I'm not doing this to get any, I don't want anything. I don't, I didn't, I didn't do it to get a free appetizer. I did it because I'm going to enjoy them and it's unconscious, but we'll, everybody's going to be able to happy, and it makes me feel good to hear that story you tell because that's the way I want the waiter or the, the the postman or whoever it is. I want them walking away with a smile. I want to think I had a little something to do with that. That puts energy in me. You know, it's just, it, it just, and it's not that it's manipulative. You want to say, no. how can I give Right. for me? Right. Um, we were walking down the streets of Santa Barbara and here was this man who had um, one arm, He's playing a guitar, Rob, with one arm. He's doing an amazing job with this. And he has his, his case open up, you know, for money. Well, I had a $25 gift card to In-N-Out Burger that someone had given me. I thought, what am I going to do? I went over and put it in his basket. I just looked at him and said, enjoy dinner. And then walked away. And I felt great. Yeah. I didn't need the In-N-Out Burger. Yeah. Um, it's just it's the small things that we do yeah to extend ourselves to others that in fact gives us back during the pandemic you know a lot of people for their mail carriers they would put a little note out where the mail carrier was right but i go into the post office nobody pays any attention to the people behind the counter they're the ones that are standing there for eight hours have to take all the abuse all the anger and they are so patient so i decided i make lemon cakes and I, I carried in lemon cakes and I said, I just want to say thank you to, for you guys, for your patience and for being there for us. Rob, the woman behind the counter started crying. Mm. No one had said thank you to them. Right. That's beautiful. And so I, so I've made it, you know, every couple of months I bring lemon cakes into the post office. Right. Um, <laughs> every couple of months. Yeah. Well, now that the pandemic isn't so bad, I see. I haven't been very good at it. But the truth of the matter is, people go, "Oh my god!" Because you made it. Right. I didn't go what? buy it. I yeah. made it for them. I think I'm going to nickname you uh, Lemon Cake McDar from now on when uh, I see you. <laughs> Robbie, make sure I have your address, and I promise I will send you a no, lemon. That's okay. As long as you're not diabetic, I will send no, you. No, not diabetic. I All right. Make sure I have your snail mail. I have, I have one more question about you and then I'm going to get back on topic a little bit, but okay. I outed your size a little bit. We're on a podcast, but all of a sudden somebody in the car is going five feet tall. They're not very tall. Well, I'm not so tall myself. I'm, I'm, if I stand up nice and straight, I, when I played basketball, I went, I went down and the program is five ten. Yeah. Well, anyway, <laughs> but, but I'm curious uh, because I, I, I think this kind of contributes. I'm curious about, the size piece only because it, we're talking about you wrote a book about resiliency and you know if you if if you if for me if i'm six foot three and you know 210 and i don't have, maybe i don't have to be quite as resilient but you maybe i'm just curious if size had anything to do with 
forming this part of your brain that said, I'm going to fight. I'm going to be resilient. Anything to do with it? No. Huh. Uh, let me give you an example. Yeah. Um, way back, um, you and I both know back in the days when we could actually go out and speak in person, which thankfully they're coming back, you would send out a video. Yep. So the guy hires me. He's seen the video. I walk into the room and he says, you didn't sound that short. <laughs> so I'm thinking, what did short sound like mini mouse or something like that? Um, I think that what we carry with us is our own sense of self-confidence and um, our own internal power, which is resonated whether I am 5'1 or whether I'm 6'1. Yeah. So size, it's it's never occurred to me. In fact, I never think of myself as being short. It's it's irrelevant. Though I have to say, I do remember one guy who was really a jerk and obnoxious. And after I finished speaking, he came up and he was just so pompous. And I just looked at him and said, probably shouldn't have done that because we had an audience. But I said, just remember, I look up your nose. <laughs> How do you how do you handle that? Would that quiet him down a little bit? <laughs> but I was just like, I got it. Yep. Made well, them all laugh. No, you know it, it. I asked the question of you because for me, it absolutely shaped me. The I I um I really am. By the way, I really am right on the verge. I'm, well, just my, my physical. I really am very close to 5'10". I'm, I'm, the doctor keeps calling it 5'9 and a half, and I said, we're rounding up. We're rounding up. Take it up. But I was really small in school. I was the smallest in first grade and the smallest in second grade. And, and that was a big deal. Yeah. I, Eileen's hands up in here. She was too. But maybe it was a, maybe it's a guy thing. I don't know. But it made me want to fight harder it made me a little bit more fierce i connected to the to the movie cool hand luke when paul newman was getting knocked down and getting up and getting knocked down and getting up and i i just thought the heck with my size i'll just not stay down and then it won't be an issue but i i not only called myself a mcstubborn i have no idea where that came from mcdar uh, but i referred to myself as a mcstubborn that when i coached for 20 years all my small players when they were either basketball or soccer, I always brought them around me. I said, you know what you guys are? You're McStubborns. Then I explained to them that we're a, we're a, we're a group and we're going to fight harder and scrap harder. But yeah, for me, yeah, size actually changed, made me fight harder. And I'm grateful for it. That's interesting. I never, um, I mean, I know back in the old days when P.E., and we were, I was in a Catholic school. So the girls on one side, the boys are on the other. When we played PE, they hear you're out of the field and they would choose who they wanted to be on their team. I was always the last one chosen. I mean, I didn't play third base. I was third base. Just lay down. We're going to write roll over you. I can remember feeling rejected because I wasn't the sports person that they wanted to be, but it didn't, Rob, it wasn't, I, I never felt like I had to, to fight about it. What I thought was, it's not that important. And and now when I when I go to speak, I would love to be down in the center of the, you know, an audience of, you know, a thousand. But I said, you guys, if I get off the stage, I am a disembodied voice. You will never see me. I come by it naturally. I have a twin brother, so half of me is in Boston. So that's the way it goes. You know, right. um, and so nobody even thinks about that. That's interesting. Again, it's just, it's just very interesting. And I wonder if it's a little bit gender based. I don't know. 
but I know as a, you know, I remember my, my sister's very small, uh, but about the same size as you, um, which, you know, did I say very small? I meant really normal. But, but in any case, uh, I have two brothers and they're pretty big. They're, they're much taller than I am. Uh, so my sister and I, you would think we connect on this. We did not. She was, she, it was just wasn't a big deal for me. I wanted to be a bat. I wanted to be a point guard for the Washington Bullets at the time. I, I had plans. It's, I think it's at least right now for, you know, the traditional value of, of the male gender and strong yeah. and big. I, yeah. I, just, I just don't identify with that. I got gotcha. you. Okay. So the book is Burnout to Breakthrough, Building Resilience to Refuel, Recharge, and Reclaim What Matters. Okay. So you're, you, you, let's, let, let's, let, let's climb into this thing called a pandemic and which might be the poster child of the necessity for resiliency. What are we learning about ourselves right now? Well, first off, remember it said from burnout to breakthrough. Yeah. So the first thing, and this has been happening, this has been happening actually since the mid seventies, but it's even worse. So forget the pandemic for a minute. We were already in this state of burnout globally when um, the World Health Organization in May of 2019 declared burnout a global experience. Then you know that something has gone on. It wasn't the pandemic. The pandemic hadn't even hit yet. It's the way in which we are um, obsessed with our work, with our life, and just being fried. And so building resilience, regardless of a pandemic, doesn't matter. You know, it's how is it that we approach what we do? Um, now, what the pandemic has done, particularly for those in healthcare, in hospitals, in medical centers, they're experiencing it because of the extreme pressure of people who have left who want to get out of the profession and they're having to deal with it. So there's, so professionally, depending on the profession, it can really be a serious, serious issue. So burnout to breakthrough is how is it that I figure, what is it that I'm doing? Where is my point of control? And what are some of the choices that I have? Now that also means organizationally, there are things that organizations do that are just horrific. Um, if we talked about well elon musk you know making the declaration you know you're going to work five times harder and i'm going to fire half of you i mean hello wouldn't you love welcome to, to welcome to the world yeah you know talk about burnout it's called walkout yeah yeah boy how about that for a motivational speech that's pretty pretty incredible incredible uh yeah. Yeah. anyway good old good old elon you know i i was on the site because i was looking at your book and I was, but, but I found myself sort of, I, I, I moved to the bottom of the page. I started reading some of the reviews on the book and I have to tell you, Eileen, they're not your run of the mill remarks. It seems like this book of yours is changing lives here. And you, you have people plugging this in, not just to, you know, to, to burn out at work or a pandemic, they're plugging it into, I was reading about people handling grief. Uh, some certain unknowns, changing paths, um, businesses, social, personal challenges. Did you realize that that book was going to touch people in that many different angles? Um, I don't think that I did. Let me tell you why I write books. I write them for me because it's what I need to learn. Mm -hmm. And so 
as I'm learning my lessons, I begin to put words to them. So um, I am thrilled. I, I am thrilled that people are finding this book helpful. Um, I've had organizations that create internal book clubs and they buy the book and everybody can read it and then they can have discussions. Because when is a book more than a book, Rob, when it's a conversation? Yeah. I'm not the voice of wisdom. There's so much wisdom that arounds us. And if we can have those conversations, that increases the individual wisdom. It also helps with that pandemic called loneliness. I'm not alone in feeling this, which is why I think for, for people in leadership positions, if you come up, I got all the answers and life is good and fine. You don't connect with people that way because the truth of the matter, you're scared too. The truth of the matter is we have no idea what some of this is. All I know is what can I do today? And what is it that we operate on values tomorrow? And then we'll figure out where we go. Yeah. Wow. You know, um, I, I, I've always wanted, if I started a second podcast, I've, I've already have it, the title, it would be called A Book Finds You. Because most authors, they don't find the book, the book finds them. And you just demonstrated that yet again of kind of this, you finding this and you needing to write this. And uh, just one more quick thing on that. When you're an author like Eileen, you uh, people will almost always come up and say, you know, I've always wanted to write a book. I've always dreamt of writing a book. I really want to write a book. And, I, and you know, when I get that, it makes me sort of chuckle because I have my first question is, Okay, well, you know, you know, as my dad said, we all put our pants on the same way. It wasn't like it at the time. What is it that you want to write about? And, they, and they'll say, that I don't know. And, and, <laughs> and what you're hearing is, what you're hearing is, well, it really starts there. We, we, you know, it starts with this, this feeling in your gut and in your belly that you just described. And then it goes from there. That's, that's why Eileen is the author she is. That's why when you're listening to this podcast right now, you need to get this book. You need to get it and you need to write a review on it because these, I don't want a book that was manufactured. So somebody, listen, Eileen, go in that storage room over there and write me a book. Good luck with that one. Uh, no, it's it's very personal. It's emotional and it and it consumes you. And when it does, you got a great book. Um, it's going to be authentic. So I congratulate you. I, I, I love Thank the fact you. that you've got groups out there getting together and that, as I said, I'm just seeing people touched in those reviews. I I, I couldn't stop scrolling down. I went, you know, it's usually it's like, this is a really good book. You know, that's not <laughs> well, the reviews you, you're getting. Thank you. That That's very kind of you to write that. And I think that whether you have published or not, I do believe there's tremendous value in writing. Yeah. Um, journals i've always kept journals yeah because if i keep it in my head i can't look at it but when i begin to write uh, i go oh this is and I, i've written different in different ways uh one of my books gifts from the mountain which is through our publisher barrett kohler um it was lessons that i learned on a backpacking trip which was so horrible that i thought why am i doing this i have to figure this out or i'm going to kill my husband he got us lost. And so there are vignettes, little vignettes, that I would look at something as we were on in the mountains, as stuff was happening. What's the lesson? What's the lesson? And that actually won the Ben Franklin Gold Award. Um, wow. And it's small, but I also don't believe you have to write a lot. 
I think you have to write words that are truthful. You don't need a lot of words. Yep. Got to be authentic. Um, and glad you said that because every, and, and oh, by the way, um, not only does Eileen feel that way, a lot of publishers are feeling that way these days. Uh, I, I had to, my last book had to be trimmed down. I came in with, and, and I know it's, that's a lot of words, but I'm telling you, it's not that many words. I came in with 45,000 words and they said too many, too many words. We got to trim that down a little bit. 40, so and what does 45,000 translate to? What about 180 pages, maybe? Uh, it wasn't a 200 page book. Too big, too much. Uh, mm -hmm. We, we it, it, you know, now different books have different audiences, but yeah. I, I always tell people that are thinking about writing a book, good news. Yeah, you were born at the right time right now. War and Peace. We're not writing War and Peace so much anymore. They're they're trimming down a little bit. Uh, okay, tell me let, we're coming down the home stretch. Uh, how about we 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 pin you down to one single piece of advice that you leave for all of us right now? And I'm putting you under the I'm putting you under the lights on that one. But I I, I know it'll probably change day to day. But give me what's what's hitting your brain right now. Well, two things. One is that quote that I gave to you um, from Howard Zinn, to have hope, one doesn't need certainty, only possibility. Uh, I keep coming back to that. Yeah. Um, and, and the second thing is the only place that you have any control or power is right now. Yesterday's, as it says, is a canceled check. Tomorrow's a promissory note. Only today is negotiable. So what is it that I can do today? For example, today, I was so looking forward uh, to being with you, Rob, because it does fill my heart. You are such a good man with a good heart to you. And um, I also love your energy. Um, and tomorrow, be something else. But for today, this was the most important thing for me to do today was to be with you. Wow. Um, I'm I'm actually very touched by that, and I appreciate that. And um, I think that's the first time I met you. I think there was <laughs> I sort of went over. And I said, I think that's kind of a female me over there that just wandered <laughs> in with a crowd around her and is taking my crowd. I, I have to I have to muscle in on that. Uh, but I'm I'm I like I said I, I've been waiting for months for this one, uh, and I'm very excited about it. And so thank you, and I'm I'm glad you hit that quote again. I'm going to put that up on the site. Um, and when we, um, we will launch this podcast. So as you're listening right now, uh, we'll have that written out for you, uh, as well as how to get a hold of Eileen. How do we get a hold of you? Well, first off, as long as you put my name in what you do, I am the only Eileen Mactar that I know of on the planet. My grandmother is dead. So unless there's somebody else, <laughs> Eileen Mactar, you can Google me. Uh, you can go to my website, either using my name or the resiliency group resiliencygroup.com. Um, I am on LinkedIn. You can find me on LinkedIn. Um, I am on Twitter, but I don't know how long. <laughs> yeah, good for you. <laughs> I don't think I'll do that. Um, but really LinkedIn is good. And I'm really good about answering emails. Um, on my website, we do uh, a weekly blog and I do a monthly e-sign. Um, and okay. I try to make it short and pithy and, and fun. Excellent. Excellent. And by the way, just for those of you going, okay, so I'm going to Google Eileen McDar. Uh, just so you know, because I had to practice this, that McDar is spelled M-C-D-A-R-G-H. So uh, just so you get that right. So we're, we're, we say McDar, 
But when I first went on, I went, by the way, is it McDonough? Absolutely not. Don't do that. So <laughs> let me tell you one fast story. It's yeah. a Scott Irish name. My yeah. dad said that some distant, distant ancestor was offered the last two letters for the price of one and took them. <laughs> so the GH is not pronounced it's slow, as though as D-A-R-R. You could McDonough, you could roll the R's if you wished. Um, you but I've always thought that's why we have that GH. Hmm. Yep. Good. Well, it works when you say it, but when we spell it, we got to get that out to everyone. So now you know how to spell it. Now you know how to find her. Oh, and by the way, when you go to Amazon, just put her name in. You'll get all seven of her books. And um, uh, you can already tell that Eileen doesn't use ghostwriters. Uh, she's penning these things from her from her gut, if you don't mind me saying, from her soul. And those are the books, personally, I like to read. So um Good, good on you, my friend. Um, <clears throat> let's uh, we'll we'll wrap up. I want you to know, uh, I had very high expectations for this conversation, and you far exceeded them. And it's been delightful. And folks, we're going to say goodbye in a second, but I'm not saying goodbye because I got to keep talking to my friend here. But I hope you enjoyed this conversation. And Eileen. I thoroughly enjoyed speaking with you today. Thank you so much for talking with us. Ditto, Rob. Thank you so much. Well, we'll do it again as well as we can next time, everyone. Until then, stay safe. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed today's show, please rate and recommend it on iTunes, Outcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also get more information on this show and Rob at Jollis.com. <laughs>